rising from the metaphorical ashes of a Type 2 shuttlecraft accident. It's V'ger, please. A hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. I know you were on vacation for the last few days, but I'm wondering, did you get the news that there was a single solitary image released from the new Picard television show? Yeah, my phone actually, my waterproof phone got destroyed in the most hellacious torrential downpour rain. So I've been off of social media, but I did <clears throat> I did catch it. Now we're talking about this picture from the new Picard series, and it's Picard sitting there in some very tasteful future civilian clothes, and there's what appears to be a dude to the right in like a DS9 Voyager jumpsuit. That is correct! It's, it's like he looks like he's at the, the future DMV or something. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, suddenly I had four or five fan theories of like, you know, he's trying to like live a normal civilian life and it's unfulfilling or something. That's the kind of like shot that was framed in that. There was definitely a Starfleet uniform behind him and it did look like it was like a futuristic DS9 jumpsuit. Well, I'll tell you this. You tell me your fan theories, and then I'll tell you my Star Trek Voyager story from my vacation. I think the setup is, and I do love that you have a Star Trek Voyager story from your vacation. I don't want to short sell that. Like, the fact that you're able to go on trips and then come back with some kind of semi-embarrassing story um, is beautiful to me. And I can't wait to hear this one. But my theory is that from this single image... That the show will be about a post-career Picard being brought back in or trying to get back in to service as a consequence of feeling unfulfilled in a non-adventurous life. And dealing with how Starfleet Federation society has advanced over the 20 years and, and feeling out of place with his old school idealism. I based all that off a single picture. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm still scared and I am still of the opinion that we should have left perfection alone and not knock the dust off of next gen and just moved forward because the capacity for this to be something bad is so great and it to be something excellent so very thin and i i believe in patrick stewart but man we're we're playing a dangerous game here yeah what what i always say in these kinds of situations is that perfection will still be perfection no matter what happens but this is bonus territory i want you to go back to the matrix trilogy (laughs) I, I'll have you know I rewatched the original Matrix movie the last couple of years, and in no way were the <coughs> see that's, in no that's way you getting caught in a lie. What you're about to say is such a fucking lie that your body just failed you. In no way was that movie diminished by its sequels. I wasn't. I was entirely able to t- put them out of mind, enjoy the movie for what it was, and not even think for a second about the sequels and how subpar they were. That last Matrix dragged that entire franchise right into the fucking dirt where it shot itself in the head. (laughs) Oh, it's bad. It's one of of the worst movies I think I've ever seen, which is a shame because the sequel wasn't terrible, but by by sheer osmosis and connection, it became terrible. I thought the middle one was really bad i'm like this is sucks like there's no story it's all just pure action and like then the third movie came out which was just extended stupid story and bad action and i was like oh wait the second movie was fucking sweet they didn't all the stupid stuff that came out of their mouth didn't happen yet it was just a really good highway chasing uh this picard series i think you're right and i just recently rewatched all good things and they paint some very interesting pictures of the future and picard and what happens first and foremost i'm very sad that i mean and it might just be a a trick or a a ace up their sleeve 
I hope the old crew and cast is heavily involved because yeah, Picard is a great character, but he was a part of a greater story that involved these other people that, you know, it was all connected. Um, so I hope they get these other guys involved, but I don't think they're going to though. That's the problem uh, from the sound of it, from what all of the actors have had to say, no one's really been contacted to be in it, which tells me at this point, I mean, they're shooting it now. If they're shooting it now and none of them have been contacted to be in unless it, unless they're all NDAs. just like, yeah, unless they're all like in a fucking mo- mobbed up and they're they're trying to keep it all under wraps, sure, and surprise people with it. I guess like maybe that's the case. But in my heart, I want uh, another, typically I want a bold Captain Picard series doing Starfleet stuff, and I think we're gonna get a very depressing look at some sort of commentary on the current political status of the u.s or just something i don't think it'll necessarily be depressing i what i'm hoping for is that this show and hello to everyone that's watching a voyager podcast that has barely (laughs) mentioned it yet uh what i want from this show is for it to reflect on the classic morality of picard as this avatar of the federation's ideals and reflect that hope back into you know the the status of whatever the federation is at that point as a as an allegory towards reflecting that same attitude today i i feel like there is a a parallel to be drawn there but it isn't necessarily the depressing one so much as what picard can represent as a return to what he represents rather than it no longer being compatible the best comparison I think I can make is that I hope this movie reminds me of the winter soldier, the second captain America movie, because that movie I was afraid of because I love captain America, but man, did it seem like it was prime time for, you know, that Steve Rogers to just kind of be this goofy, uh, fish out of water, not really resonant type of character and them doing either something really dark or really stupid with it. And instead they captured his isolation and kind of unsure nature, but also kind of brought it back around to how inspiring a figure he is because of who he is. And that ended up being a major part of the, of the finale, something like that, you know, I'm going to continue along your Marvel thread here. And I'm going to say that I am afraid it is going to be like Logan where you are seeing the same thing you're seeing what was once this very powerful commanding professor X at the top of his game, commanding the X-Men doing feel good stuff. And now you're going to see a guy who is a shadow of himself, perhaps living with great shame on his hands, who has been forced into the shadows and is trying to struggle in a world that he no longer fits into. And I think that's what's really scaring me. I, I, I kind of like that pitch, though, too, like having loved Logan. I love Logan, too. But man, it was depressing as hell. Seeing Professor X fucking regulated to the oh, I, I, I fucking cried, dude. That movie is emotional. But and and in my opinion, the best comic book movie ever made by far. Fuck the Dark Knight. Fuck Avengers Endgame or whatever else you want to compare it to. The best comic book movie ever made was Blade. Logan. And it's because. <laughs> It is because it was an ending that where everything felt so raw and earned and and paid off in a way that like just had had a weight to it. And if that's what they decide to do, I'm in for that, too. I'm in for whatever if if that's what brought Patrick Stewart back to doing it and it's at that quality level, then yes. My concern is always going to be Kurtzman because he's a fucking hack, but he seems to not really have a lot of control over this. The fact that they're diving so deep on the lore to set the series up, because evidently one of the big plot points is in the aftermath of the destruction of the Romulan Empire, Picard's life really went to in a different direction, which is a, a lore point that you really have to dig deep on to know like that was a big part of the star trek online game because the the setup for the jj abrams timeline was that the prime universe spock and nero were sucked into the artificial uh wormhole 
that the technology they were trying to just get rid of that supernova with, you know, sucked them in. So there's just so much potential here that I'm going to stay hopeful until I am dis- like directly disabused of that notion. Then again, I thought this ep- this season of uh, Game of Thrones was going to be good. We saw how that fucking worked out so far. I'm sorry to anybody in the future who's listening to this. How many minutes are we in here? Ten minutes. Ten minutes. For, yeah. for stuff that you already know all the answers that we are wildly uh, guessing on. I want to say one last thing about this Picard thing. Looking at that picture, that uniform looks pretty cool. I thought it was interesting that they abandoned the first contact uniforms. Do you think that that's a Starfleet cadet or do you think that's an officer? That's got to be officer. That's color coding just like from the TNG yeah, DS9 era. But that also looks like the cadet uniform that Wesley wore because the shoulders and the collar are uniform and it's a high collar. So I'll have you know that it seems to strongly resemble the original uniforms they used on Star Trek Online, which, of course, occurs in this time frame. Am I the only and Star think- Trek fan out there who just does not give two shits about the online game? I've never played it. No, no, you're not the only one. I'm just saying I think they purposely took at least some inspiration from their design, given they're taking inspiration from the plot on it. They're going to well. take inspiration out of anything. Grab those all good things, future uniforms that Beverly and Picard wore. I really like those. <sighs> those look future, future lounge suits. <laughs> I don't think they were lounge suit looking. Eh, whatever. We'll we'll see. That's a lot of conjecture off of one picture. We'll see how things flesh out. But at the very least, I'll say that Picard's got some very tasteful future clothes. My story about Voyager while uh, down at Universal Studios. It was a long day. We've been going all day. <clears throat> we came back. We were supposed to go swimming. I ended up falling asleep on the bed. And uh, my wife, being the angel she is, she flips yes. the TV over. So I wake up in this weird haze of what the hell's going on. And I see the TV on. I see Star Trek uniforms. I'm looking. And then I see the worst fucking CGI I think I've ever seen. And I realize it's one of these species 8427 episodes. 8472. Yes. Whatever. 84 awful. It was. So I'm like, what the fuck? Oh, you've is- been spoiled. You've been spoiled. It's awful. I said, what the hell is this? What What is this? And she said, it's your Voyager. And I said, turn this off. <laughs> turn this <laughs> off right now. I'm not on the clock. And I don't. <laughs> Dude, it looked like Mewtwo running around. I thought it was the, Pikama, the Pokemon Detective Pikachu trailer. These things look like Mewtwo straight up. And the, the CGI is somehow worse than the fucking macroism floating poopsicles that were attacking Jamie. <laughs> I I am so sad to hear that you have been mildly spoiled. Mildly traumatized. I came out of a deep sleep to this nonsense. <laughs> it's like I woke up to well, someone killing my 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 sister. It was, <laughs> it was miserable. <laughs> I don't know if that says so little about your sister or so much about how traumatized you were. It was. <laughs> so speaking of bad CGI. Yeah. Oh, damn it. That was going to be mine. I was going to transition with that. But go ahead. It's all, it's all of our problem to bear. Season three, episode 19. Rise. So after what you said that this was part of the quote unquote trilogy of terror. Mm-hmm. I. I sat down braced for impact, right? Yeah. I'm like, this is going to be fucking awful. It is a Neelix Tuvok episode. And apparently the worst stretch of the show of all time. Like the doc pulled that one out last week by sheer grit and determination by of Robert Picardo. Like uh, in the hands of lesser creatures, what terror awaits us? And so I'm sitting there braced for impact and then the fucking episode was great. It was legitimately very good. Like, not perfect. I have a few complaints, but from a from a pacing perspective and from the 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 dialogue and acting and overall writing, it was probably one of the better ep- definitely in the top half of the episodes we've watched, if not the top twenty five percent. And I'm just I don't know what the fuck people who watch Voyager thinks is good and is bad. If, if fucking false prophets is 
beloved and good in the minds of these people and this is bad these people are are just fucked in the head because this was amazing uh you know you're not wrong and i really was kind of expecting you to come out with two hammers and start trying to knock this episode's teeth out of its mouth and i was going to step up and, and defend it but i think we're on the same page here all that being said the cgi in this episode was fucking miserable Starting oh with my God. <laughs> this, you know, and so I'm getting into these Eagle Moss figurines you turned me on to, right? Yeah. I got Voyager, I got the Miranda, and I got the Excelsior, and they all come with these little books. Jesus, all right. If I was going to say the first hit is free, but you're already on the, the smooth ride. Well, I got two for my birthday, courtesy of my wife. F- fair point. Uh, they come with these books, which are garbage editing. The, the 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 information contradicts itself so bad like the miranda's like got l- deck number mismatches right out of the gate but anyways the cool part of the book is when they start talking about like the models there's a lot about how the miranda class was built specifically to be easy to film it's light it's got a lot of mounting points and it really just made me miss the old star trek style of everything was a model it was all filmed by camera and you know it looked mm-hmm. neat Oh, yeah. This dawn of CGI is so bad. And Voyager looks okay in most of the scenes as long as it's not landing on a planet. But like even the asteroid just looks like fucking garbage. So we got a real solemn scene on the bridge. There's this asteroid speeding along. Um, there's two aliens standing on the bridge who are clearly visitors. And, you know, uh, Voyager starts popping out photon torpedoes like a Pez dispenser because... <laughs> Who cares about continuity? Uh, I mean, you did unearth the video that uh, essentially uh, uh, wraps up in a nice tidy bow. The fact that uh, the writers of this show and the producers uh, never seem to give any fucks whatsoever about the actual amount of torpedoes, despite making it a plot point early on. Riddle me this, Joe. What do you think Voyager has more of? Photon torpedoes or shuttlecraft? (laughs) I would say it detonates both <laughs> on an equal basis. That's, Maybe that's even more. Hard. That's fucking hard. Yeah. And I'm not kidding around. I, I think really at this point we've shot more shuttlecrafts into planetoids than we have photon torpedoes. Anyways, photon torpedo hits. The asteroid does not blow up the way it wants to. Everybody seems stunned. Um, there's some dialogue between the alien dudes. And then Janeway has to sit there and watch as large chunks of this meteor that did not disintegrate properly slam to the surface and kill a bunch of people. I guess it's worth me pointing out at this stage that we are deep in the run of the show that I am the least familiar with because I've probably only seen these episodes once. And the last time I watched them was probably 20 years ago. So I didn't really remember this one at all, except for the fact that the main plot was directly ripped off of one of my favorite movies, that being Starship Troopers. Dude, straight up. And the Clendathu <laughs> arachnid attack all the way. So if you've not seen Starship Troopers, shame on you. You should watch it. But the the alien bug menace that is threatening humanity in Starship Troopers, their main weapon to threaten Earth with is throwing asteroids at it. Uh one of which ends up destroying Buenos Aires, which is kind of the big motivating factor for most of the characters in the movie. So here we are with these strange asteroids being thrown at things. And all I can remember is, yes, that's right. They ripped off of Starship Troopers with this with this plot line. And then I also remembered that the nibbly alien that was like, no, this is so weird. We should totally like not do everything that we need to do to discover what's going on totally is like responsible for what's happening, which was very transparent within the first two seconds. He opens yeah. his mouth. This guy I was gonna, I was going to ask you if you noticed that, but I'm like, of course you noticed that because everyone noticed that everyone in 1995 noticed that like this is, this is some pretty basic ass setup. And that's really my only complaint. I mean, the CG being bad is an entirely different world. The, the fact that this guy is obviously going to be the traitor is, just very apparent. Yeah. Um, to your Starship Troopers point, I love Starship Troopers. I saw it when I was, I don't know, 10th grade, maybe 11th grade. 
I love the shit out of it. Have you? Do you ever watch uh, Red Letter Media stuff on YouTube? I fucking love Red Letter Media. Did you stuff. see the Starship uh, Troopers one? I certainly did. What an eye opener, man. There's a lot of stuff because it's been a while since I've seen the movie. I love Starship Troopers. It was great. I was mostly there for, uh, you know, the deleted scene of um, Denise Richards taking her shirt off. But, well, you know, it does have one of the most revolutionary shower scenes in cinema history. Very forward. Th- <laughs> what was that meme? Really, I saw it's like really every- progressive. Everybody's in here arguing whether or not we should be in co-ed showers. Meanwhile, the arachnids are bombing Buenos Aires. <laughs> um Okay, everybody, Peter and I, we actually continued to talk about this topic and then realized that we're like a half hour into our Star Trek podcast and we've barely talked about the Star Trek episode. Everyone downloaded this to listen to. So Red Letter Media to... Starship Troopers thing. Check it out on YouTube. It's it's very good. I enjoyed it and you should check it out. But back to this guy, I believe you called him Nibbly. Yes. <laughs> Let me drag Mr. us Nibbly. down another rabbit hole. Uh, Better Call Saul. You've seen it, right? Right. Tell me that the guy who ends up being the the little Weasley fuck in this episode is not a dead ringer for baseball card drug dealer guy. <laughs> I would have st- did not think of that. I dude, I would have bet my left that, arm to be honest, and it was not him. Um, but it's the exact same guy, same round face, kind of kind of like dopey, whatever. And as soon as you meet this guy, he's so meek and p- pathetic. It just screams at you like, hey, this guy's a traitor and he is going to be a big deal later on. I thought it was overwhelmingly telegraphed. And this is a brand brand off script. I think even he said like he couldn't really get a handle on the spy angle. But whatever. You got these guys They kind of look like toned down Klingons. Uh, they're got a planet that they're colonizing with 13 some colonies. There were attacks, not attacks that they know them as yet, but there were asteroids striking the planet earlier. High casualties. They tried to gun these things down. Didn't work. Not even the Federation's technology can work. To be clear, we're not given like a ton of background as to what's going on, like uh, up front, like in the captain's log or anything. It's just here's what's going on. And I actually liked the approach that like, I don't know why Voyager's helping these people, but I could probably guess like at this point, I can guess. I don't need to see that part anymore. I know this is how these guys roll. There's a trap and Janeway's going to take them into it. That's all you need to know. They were passing by and then she just kind of smelled it. She <laughs> smelled it neat. She's like, nah. She floated in the air and just followed the trail like a Warner Brothers cartoon. Yeah, like you said, they, they don't need to get into it. You know exactly what's going on here. You know that Voyager's going to stick it out. They didn't mention anything about atmospheric ionization or anything that I heard, but they're not going to use the the transporters because why would they just send out a fleet of shuttles, stick it full of your most senior crew members, and hey, what's the worst that could happen? So Paris and Tuvok, let's 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 stick them in a bunch of death traps. We'll be fine. Yep, little mini plot pods, and off they go. Uh, we get treated to what I'm going to call the absolute worst part of this episode. And it's not the bad CGI that is going to pop up a few times. It is Neelix's. I don't know what to call it. This corduroy, (laughs) his red leisure suit, this corduroy hippie fucking thing, man. Like he's really pushing this angle that he wants to be more involved with ship operations. I guess they've got some sort of mini Starfleet Academy set up and he's gotten clearance to go down on this away team mission as not ambassador to the Delta Quadrant, but as a crewman. And man, this it's maroon and like poop yellow. It is skin tight. It looks like the kind of shit Kess was wearing last week. Like there must have been an episode we missed where something goes wrong with the replicators and the replicators can only produce corduroy or velvet material. And that's what they're clothing themselves with. It, it looked legitimately. This was my first thought upon seeing this outfit. It legitimately looked like the kind of thing that if I saw this in the Federation, 
I would think I need to notify the authorities that is a space child rapist. <laughs> that is that is only an outfit worn by space kid touchers. Speaking like, of space that, kids, that's it exclusively. Speaking of space kids who get touched, uh, the three year old Kess comes up in the same scene we see Neelix. This is the first time we've really had a scene between Neelix and Kess since Warlord, I guess. And Neelix is getting ready for this away team mission. He comes into sick bay looking for extra supplies. And Kess is there, who just had her, you know, affair with the space truckers. And these dudes are acting like they don't even know each other. There's no chemistry. There's no weird looks. There is no continuity whatsoever. It is infuriating because we have had been beaten over the head with they are a relationship. Neelix is jealous. There are complications, blah, blah, blah. And they're just it might have been it may as well have just been howdy doody walking into sick bay looking for, you know, some more band-aids for the his his sick cut arms he has <laughs> from his sweet deadlifts. I I you know, Peter, I don't know why you're complaining. They did say in a line last week that they broke up. I mean, that's clearly all they actually have to do to, you know established that these two people no longer have a relationship together and therefore no longer associate with each other except in the most bare minimum of circumstances. I mean, to be fair, on Kess's angle, she only lives to the age of six, so the two weeks it's been since they broke up in human years would be like three years. She's over him. I get it. Whatever. So... Neelix would like, be a neat factor if that was like explained narratively <laughs> that the cat that Kess's species experience time differently as a consequence of their short lifespan. Doctor imparts some wisdom on Neelix and just says, hey, look, man, chill out around Tuvok. You get a little too keen and uh, you got to step off the throttle. Fast forward to a extremely predictable fucking shuttlecraft accident. And we end up on the planet's surface. It's Neelix in his god awful corduroy ensemble it's tuvok and it is Nib- nibbly so was that what we're calling him mr nibbly. mr nibbly mr nibbly yes. aka mr price the baseball card collector from better call Saul. uh they're down there and they wake up to someone banging on the door tuvok so i it's it's uh at this point the show really focuses in mostly on the interactions between neelix and tuvok that's really what this episode's about. Everything else is done in service of their relationship with each other. And the episode shines unexpectedly in that focus, in my opinion. All of our complaints about all the side show bullshit, to my eternal shock, and despite everything we have seen from these two actors in different situations so far, aside from Fair Trade, these guys carry the episode on the backs of you caring about their relationship with each other. And in particular, and I think for the first time, I feel like you got an emotional beat out of Tuvok that makes sense and connects with the audience. I think that this episode shines in the premise that we are going to move into, which is they are stranded on the surface. There are more asteroids coming into collision range. Uh, they need to get the fuck off the surface and they have to make a choice. Do they stay with the shuttlecraft and try to repair to the point where they can draw Voyager's attention to it? Or while Neelix was out doing some, uh, in you know, uh, some damage assessments, he spots this tower that goes up into the clouds and it's like a map painting or whatever. Again, none of the yeah, it's it, it's actually a pretty classic piece of speculative technology of how it is you would move cargo into orbit. Yes. Is through a basically a space elevator. It's awesome. I've read up on it before. I thought it was really cool and it was nice to see this series take fringe science theory out there and incorporate into one of these episodes. So I saw it. I knew it was a space elevator, space ladder. Neelix goes in and says, hey, look, here's my idea. There's this elevator. It's it's a tether that goes up into a space station in perfect orbit. We can get on. We can try and get one of these cars working and we can ride up off of the surface till we get to a point where we can communicate past whatever ion storm is messing up communications. and We can get out of here. And 
that was really cool science fiction the whole way through. Uh, a couple of the guys that they meet up on the surface, which ends up being some hotshot scientists who has critical info. They were there to extract them. They're on a search and rescue mission. And some, uh, I don't know, some mines worker that's just Frankenstein or whatever, like some big monster. Yeah, he's, he's just a big dumb thug to have there for plot reasons. And on the ship, there's a few scenes where they essentially they crack open one of these asteroids and it has a bunch of, hey, look, science doohickeys inside and reveals the mystery that, in fact, this is Starship Troopers and these are essentially missiles. Mm-hmm. I will say that Hotshot Scientist guy, they did a great job with explaining after the fact all of the shit he does in this episode. Because essentially from this point forward, he won't talk to anybody about what he knows. And he tries on multiple occasions to kind of do shady shit, like fuck them on the surface, fuck everyone over. And then they actually do a good job going back and, and explaining it all in a way of like, Oh yeah, everything he did makes sense in that context. He knew there was a traitor. He knew the traitor was an alien. He couldn't trust anyone in that group on that basis. And you know, going hijacking the space elevator and trying to beat everybody up there, uh, you know, would have potentially had the the impact of saving anyone's life anyway. So it, it all it all made sense for for a show that so often doesn't bother to make any fucking sense of its own continuity within an episode. I want to take this moment to give Voyager a special round of competence applause. Uh, I guess it was uh, Brant Braga who who did the story on this one. So, uh, no, it was Brandon Braga. Yeah. yeah. And, and Jimmy Diggs, which is an awesome name for anybody, uh, wrote it. Good job, guys. You did it. I... You knew the plot. The second you saw Mr. Nibley, you knew that he you was did. the inside man. You knew that it was going to be an alien attack weapon. I mean, all the stuff was out there. You don't have to roll out the jump to conclusion map because you know, you just do not pass. <laughs> you just, it's just, it's just, you walk forward. It's there. It's there. I saw, yeah. you, you, I can see the, the end box text from here. So this guy acting shady or whatever. Yes. It's very obvious that he knows it's an alien force and he doesn't trust people and that he's going to die at some point, whatever. Like you said, the whole spy thing, whatever. I could have been written better. The space elevator, really cool plot device that Neelix is the only one who could run it. And Neelix has this diversified jack of all trades. He used to be a coal miner. He knows how to fix these things, but he doesn't really. He's kind of lying. Um, the the development between him and Tuvok cool. But so they see the space elevator in the distance. Neelix wins over the group and Tuvok. They all go over there. They start trying to fix this thing up. They find some. PTSD foundry worker who gets Neelix at knife point and they have to diplomacy her off the edge. And they all start working together to put this basically flight of the Phoenix, right? They got to put this old plane that's never going to fly again back together. But before they can really do what they want, like you said, uh, scientist conspiracy dude tries to hijack this thing. He takes it off all half cocked. Luckily, Neelix is able to get this thing under control. And it seems like they're doing all right uh, in the beginning. But problems start creeping in. The atmosphere is really thin. The atmospheric condenser is not working right. Tuvok goes on at length about how Mary Sue Vulcans are. And we're so strong and we can breathe this thin atmosphere and everything about us is perfect, which fits in this episode because as Tuvok goes on about the superiority of logic in the face of... um, emergency situations and all of his physical prowess it's going to be contrasted later on how he's missing some very key qualities not to mention the fact that you know uh vulcans become terrible space rapists if they're too far from home <laughs> but before well, fortunately fortunately while stuck in this elevator tuvok does not suddenly get a case of Confars. the this the sexual desires but there is one uh, enraging moment before they take off where Neelix kind of bridges the gap between him and stab lady where she discloses that she believes her sister is probably dead. And Neelix says, we got to name this ship. I'm going to name it after my favorite sister. Cause she was an explorer who loved adventure, blah, blah, blah. Oh, where's your family at now? Oh, well, and, and here, here's where <laughs> I, I go to it. super rage time. 
oh, well, they all died. And that's that. And that's not that, Neelix. How terrible it must be to know that your family died under this terrible weapon and then died again when Voyagers threw up their hands and walked away from saving the entire planet and all of your family that you talk to every night. You're not talking to ghosts, Neelix. You're talking to real people trapped forever tormented in Talaxia's moon's atmosphere because Janeway couldn't take another 15 minutes to science out the equation to bring everybody back to life. I'm like, oh, cool, continuity. And then I'm like, but no, not that continuity. You have, you have, no, stop, stop it. No. I, uh, I, as soon as I, they invoked that, I'm just like, uh, I'm just going to have to just sit back and listen to Peter express, express his feelings a little bit. Weakest and you did shit not ever. Me. Weakest shit ever. Yeah. I, uh, I really liked the, the talk with Stab Lady, if only that it really establishes Neelix's, personal and deep connection with how he thinks about his family. Yeah. Yeah. The weakest shit stuff aside, it's a very enlightening character moment of how seriously he takes that. It's going to come up again, believe it or not. And in probably the best Neelix episode there is down the line and, and how he thinks about his family and their passing and everything. Uh, but I did not obviously recall that this was kind of a, a setup to that. So bravo to the the writers here and the writers in the future who are going to look at this episode and say, that's probably something worth mining because it was very interesting. Like thinking of your past loved ones every night and and t- telling them about your day before going to bed is a very spiritualistic. Yeah. And starting like, every one of those conversations with, hey, mom, I'm really sorry that. Janeway and Tuvok couldn't take another five minutes to to bring it back to life. I was new on the ship. You know, I didn't want to inconvenience him. So you're going to have to stay suspended in this atmosphere, tormented in the hellscape of suffering, you know, forever. Sorry. Maybe that's what the Picard series will focus on as Picard ended up in the Delta Quadrant. And trying to the fix extra college try. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that, you know, is going to happen flat out on this. Uh, yeah, the, the, the drama of this episode is not the cookie cutter spy stuff. Uh, it is the interaction where where Neelix is doing his best to impress Tuvok. And I, I think it's worth saying he does a good job. Like he is not the usual bumbling Neelix self. He is very competent no. in this episode. The, yeah, yeah, he's he's very competent. Um, what I was going to say, the surprise is here isn't that there's a bad guy and everything else. It's when the conspiracy doctor is or scientist is drinking a jug of something. You're like, why? You should, oh, that's obviously it's poison. This guy's drinking poison. And then you get the surprise of him dying. And the real surprise is this is going to become a detective Tuvok story, uh, which is terrible. Anytime Detective Tuvok rears his ugly magnifying glass. But it's only for a few minutes. It's okay. Thankfully. Because, it's okay. Or maybe I just tuned it out because I already knew that Mr. Nibley did it. I Eventually, we get to a point where a uh, conspiracy doctor, he starts trying to open up the door. It's the second time he's basically endangered everybody's life. He already got neck pinched once. Tuvok pulls him away from the door, throws him down. And on the way down, he's like, there's something on the roof. You need to get it. He dies in two box like whatever. We'll check it out later. Keep this train moving. And this is where Neelix puts his foot down. I agree with everything that you said that this is a good Neelix in two episode and that Neelix seems competent. There's a great emotional outburst. It's just the timing is wrong. There are so many good opportunities where two shits on Neelix and they just roll along. And for Neelix to pick this as his hamburger hill where he is going to dig both heels in logic be damned and and attack Tuvok on being mean and a bully and treating him like shit and all this other stuff like it's such a justified argument but he picks the worst possible time where I find no sympathy for Neelix in that exact moment as he launches into this tirade I think that it is entirely the right moment um I get why you say it isn't because it seems so minor in context of all of the other shit that Tuvok keeps on him in this episode alone. Yeah. Right? Like when he's giving him shit about, 
you know, where Neelix has really competently rebuilt this elevator and is like controlling it and making shit work. Turn Stab Lady into a friend who's sharing resources now. Yeah, he's like Neelix is is just putting tens on the board every time, right? Just boom, 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 getting it all done. And he doesn't know like one small detail about the elevator and it comes out. He never really built them. He just knew them on technical level because of modeling and some other stuff. And and fucking Tuvok looks like he's going to fucking kill him when, mind you, nothing bad has happened. In fact, Neelix is overperformed beyond what you see suggested he was capable of to begin with. And that's felt like more like you would say the consequential moment where he turns to him, goes, listen, fuck, let me fucking tell you some shit about how you act. Let me I'm fucking tired of this. That I get where that may have felt like the right moment, but this moment was the pure separation, right? Like where that was where Neelix was attempting to emulate Tuvok. He was attempting to emulate Tuvok in his hyper competence and focus on making this elevator situation work. Intuition moment where if this was so important to this guy, we need to go understand what that is because that is communicating to me. A, a value that you have to have an emotional reaction to to understand and for Tuvok to naturally say fuck you no and Neelix to say no fuck you yes felt like the exact right time but like, yes this is when you stand up and say I'm gonna make you do this because I realize there is zero argumentation that I can put forward that's gonna make you do it from a logical perspective so fuck it I'm gonna give you the emotional argument and then I'm gonna use my leverage and say you don't have a choice on Tuvix side, Tuvok side, and <laughs> right. and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna drag Tuvix out of his fucking grave at the end of this. Don't you worry. On Tuvok side, <laughs> you got a guy who's like got the space yips. He's poisoned. His brain's shutting down on him, and he's running low on oxygen. And he's trying to open the main door and suck everybody out. This guy's not in his right mind. And Neelix says, "Why don't we stop this?" rocket that's being held together with bubble gum and rubber bands, potentially losing our magnet leverage and plummeting to our death 400 miles to the the surface on a crazy hunch that we need to crawl out, get on the roof of this thing and dig around for something we don't even know about. Like it is such a bad cost benefit ratio on this. And Tuvok's even like, look, dude, we'll get up, we'll, we'll contact the ship, then we'll fuck around with this thing. When, you know, we're not talking about stopping midway and dying. And then Neelix just makes this unilateral decision like, no, I'm going to pick this as the part where I'm going to wig out and I'm going to drag this thing to a fucking halt and endanger everybody's life. Like, I get that Tubok doesn't really have any negotiating power in this. It's the Neelix show because Neelix is the only person who can fly this thing and he's got to go along with the ride. But man, I would have lost it there again. There's a lot of other better ways to play this explosion out of Neelix at a better beat. Here, he just seems like a raving lunatic who is also, you know, going crazy from the lack of oxygen to his brain. But he pulls the stunt and he blows up on uh, Tuvok and it's like, look, you always, always treat me like shit and blah, blah, blah. The rant is so cool. Yeah, it, it really is a fantastic moment of continuity in that, I mean, Neelix really gets out of any shell of self-deception and it's like this is how you treat me. you treat me like you can't stand me and if you don't think i don't know that trust me i do and i still come forward and i take it from you because in the end i respect you i admire you and i want to emulate the the traits that i see in you that i respect but man are you ever absolutely terrible at reading into things around you. You have no social awareness whatsoever. And I'm better at that than you are. And I, I, that's kind of like where this petty ground still works for me, where this is a single moment where I know, I know better than you. This isn't something else where I might question myself. This, I know I'm better than you at, and I'm going to tell you I'm better than you at this. And I'm therefore going to stand up and say, if you're not going to go ahead and, and listen to me now, I'm going to make you listen because I know I'm right because I know you and I know me. And that kind of insight from his character and the way they express it is so far beyond the level of writing that we get sometimes from the show. 
I, I was struck dumb at the fact that people think that this was bad. We obviously have all these complaints about the fucking terrible ass CGI, which is about to happen. Uh, the the paint by numbers kind of frame story that they put together for this. The absurd setup of sending all of your your senior officers into death traps into danger and then being like somehow shocked that something bad happens and so on and so on and so on. The usual fucking tropes, but all of it is completely forgiven in the face of this kind of quality. Again, his rant is perfectly justified. I think he covers all the best points. It's just I have a hard time getting sympathy for Neelix's stunt. He pulls right in the middle of the thing, but he gets it off. Let's cut to the Tuvix thing real quick. And I mentioned it before. You've got two characters, and I know we don't want to you know, acknowledge Threshold, and I know we don't want to acknowledge Tuvix or whatever, but it happened. You're drawing on all this other stuff, uh, these previous interactions between Tuvok and Neelix for this rant right here, and the strongest piece of evidence to, or, or connective tissue between them. They were the same person for three months. They know each other in ways that they don't even know themselves. And if ever there was a part to just jam in a a rabid fight where they're like an old married couple who are able to like swing the most lowest blows that land 100%, it's right here. You know, Neelix could have said, I know at your your core, you hate me. You know, I've been you, you've been me. I, we know each other inside and out. It would have been such a great way to, draw Tuvix back into a meaningful part of the show. They squandered it as a huge missed opportunity. And it's, it's what I wanted the most out of this episode for them to, you know, for Neelix to have his Tom Paris moment where they get past their, their differences and come out a stronger, you know, a pair for it. And they don't bring it out on the table, but they still make it work by the end of this. But right. I, I understand. I'm going to, take a moment to reflect on the whole Tuvix thing because I couldn't help but think of it as well and they don't really reference it they reference all their other interactions they don't reference it I want to give them a pass no I I think you have to because that episode was so fucking bizarre and how it ended maybe they realize that there's no like going back to that well without shining such a light on how fucking bad shit the last 15 minutes are you can't go not back it. to it we never left it i live there <laughs> yeah i i understand you can you you can never leave it i have a greater ability to detach myself from tom some paris of the shit and Catherine janeway have catfish babies tuvok <laughs> and neelix were the same person and janeway murdered them i would and in this case though i think that they could have done it if they were delicate enough in pointing out like at some point line, like, and I like at some point in his rant where he said, and I know this because once I was you and you were me and you know it too, something as simple as that might've been sufficient, but there's such danger in going back to Catherine Janeway, straight up thug life murderer and catfish mama territory. And then they don't decide not to. And I can understand why, because it is so weird. I think that if they had kept some weird shared consciousness or telepathic link or weird wonder twins, sometimes when Tuvok cuts his finger, Neelix brings it to his mouth reflexively to suck on it. Neelix's finger. <laughs> I think only when they're in their choke daddy simulations. <laughs> when when Tuvok's choking Neelix at any given point, Tuvok's also being asphyxiated. I think if they had this weird bond that just persisted through the rest of the uh, the series because of Tuvix, that would have been fucking cool. That would have been great, weird sci-fi and just moments where they talk in unison or just have this weird sync thing and everybody else around would be like, that was really weird. Those guys, <laughs> those guys are fucked up. Space is a crazy place. <sighs> I, bah, whatever, whatever. I, I liked the, uh, setup they give the aliens that were launching the um starship troopers uh asteroids yeah um the idea behind these guys was apparently that they create natural disasters on planets and force the residents to evacuate and then go claim it which is such a kind of like shifty delta quadrant thing this is this is the the 
the rowdy, you know, dive bar part of the galaxy. And this seemed like a rowdy dive bar, like, maneuver. They have these big ships, they got thousands of people on it, and they fuck a planet up with with what they think is natural disasters, and they swoop in and be like, it's mine now. It's mine. I, I have this now. It belongs to me. Neat idea. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what else is a neat idea is when Neelix is finally like, look, we got to get on the roof and see what's up there. And Tuvok says, fine, I'm going to go do it because Vulcans are sweet and I can breathe the air. And we find out that uh, despite the conspiracy doctor trying to open the main hatch and suck everybody out, there's actually a little man hatch up on the top. You got to climb the ladder to. <laughs> so Tuvok goes up there to uh the top of this and again i want to reinforce that this uh sky ladder is a really cool set piece it's probably the coolest set piece i think we've ever played in um despite the fact it kind of looks like garbage did you notice that big plastic globe full of christmas lights i swear i saw that thing on next gen i was looking at memory alpha it's an old astro uh, metrics or stellar cartography set piece from i mean they're so they're they're so notorious for doing set reuses that this but this i could have been it. anything i gotta call it Joe. it's in my dna so Tubac gets up there <laughs> you felt it you felt it through the television mm-hmm. it's like i i i smell jonathan frakes like <laughs> at, like butt cheeks off jordy leaned down on this chair jordy leaned on this Tubac gets up there and he starts mucking around he finds a control panel and there's a data pad that is built into a holster that he says, oh, it's like this thing's been jammed. And they're like, bullshit. This thing was, was built to go. In there. That's a Lego set. <laughs> As that was plugged in. But once you know it, Mr. Nibley has also disappeared. Yeah. So in the biggest plot twist of all time, Mr. Nibley's the traitor and goes to confront Tuvok. I'm sure you're... You're fucking stunned by this revelation. Mr. Nibley, who's high on the lack of oxygen, who is a candy ass, and Tuvok, who can (laughs) breathe this air perfectly and has the strength of 10 men, gets his ass beat and thrown off the cart. He does. It's very like, what? (laughs) Like, he's just off the edge. Yeah. This is where we're also getting the worst CGI. And to go back to what you said a little bit ago about you know, how practical effects look so much better than early CGI. I respect, obviously, how far it's come. But how is it that they was? Do you think it was an expense thing? Was it just still cheaper to do it all CGI and not do the model CGI combo? Because I know they did some of both on TNG. I I presume this was an expense thing because it certainly is not because it looks good. Holy shit. I, I don't know, man. And again, I wasn't there to watch this stuff the first time around. And if you know you guys out there have a feelings on this, feel free to pop off on the trauma support. Did this ever look good? Could it have ever been mistakenly looked good? Because again, I saw the space Mewtwo's that are fucking the Borg up when I woke up from my nap. <laughs> this does not oh, look man, good. You have so much more to 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 find out there. I just can't wait. It's gonna be awesome. Mr. Nibley comes back down, and of course, he's stolen Tuvok's phaser while he was there. Kicks Neelix in the head. Neelix flies off the ladder and gets a concussion. And then Mr. Nibley holds everybody hostage. Maybe it's got to be a mess hall topic, but man, the Federation phasers not having any sort of biometric lockout is such a bad idea. Like, the phasers are such super weapons. And when you have shit like this where it just falls off your belt, and any old caveman or Mr. Nibley picks this thing up, and now they've got. An evat like a, a, a vaporizer machine in their hand that doesn't even even my fucking again you know they're not going to predict where technology is at in twenty nineteen but my phone reads my fingerprint I can't unlock my phone <laughs> unless I wipe my finger off first. And- I, I would think that even then the idea of fingerprint unlocking technology was something that people foresaw. Judge like- Dredd. Judge Dredd, the lawgiver, has bio-encoded every bullet that it was shot. That's how, you know, Rico's able to frame Dredd in the Stallone movie. It's a concept people knew about, but whatever. We we need to ramrod a hostage scene in here. So uh, now Nibley's got the gun. Neelix has a concussion. Nobody can fly the thing. Nibley starts bossing people around. And uh, Neelix sees Spider Tuvok crawling around on the outside of the (laughs) ship. 
Spider Tuvok, Spider Tuvok does whatever a Vulcan can. Shoots a phaser. Way up high. I okay. I tried to take this all the way to the house. I couldn't do it. You need some. Sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. Spider Tuvok. Spider Tuvok. Uh, better hope he's not playing Sherlock. <laughs> if there's there espionage, that's a foot. Don't, don't make him the babysitter for your space children. Look out. It's a spider Tuvok. Okay. If Seth goes um, around, hot game will be run. <laughs> Luckily for you at home, the song is done. Anyways, wouldn't you know I think it? We found the title, though. This is going to be Spider Tuvok. Yeah. Spider Vok. Spider Vok. You know what? And good on Tuvok for making everybody climb up and down the Jeffries tubes wearing those uh, Air Jordans. It's certainly. Hey, fatal. yeah, you're right. This is where that Starfleet training comes in handy. Absolutely. I'll I'll be damned, Tuvok. We should never have doubted you. Now, there is a good fight scene that comes up because Neelix gets his concussed ass up. Uh, Tuvok gets in through the main door. Everybody's, you know, getting sucked towards the airlock. Mr. Nibley loses his phaser, but he goes for a space pipe. And you think Ooh, he's about the deadliest weapon in the universe. You think he's about to brain Tuvok here, but little does Mr. Nibley know that Tuvok has trained under Master Suter. He's got he mind melded with Master Suter. He knows the way of the pipe. He is the Delta Quadrant. He knows his deepest, darkest. It's its deepest mysteries are known to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is an elegant weapon from a more elegant time. And Mr. <laughs> Nibley does not know how to wield it. So instead, Tuvok ends up cross kicking him in the gut and. Out the door, Mr. Nibley goes to, and this is a, in, a, in a very satisfying moment where he just gets flushed, and he's like, "Oh, that guy's super dead." Neil, they got Tuvok a, definitely killed him. There's, they got a euphemism I like, and it's uh, so and so has returned to the surface. Mr. Nibley says it about Tuvok. Tuvok says it about Mr. Nibley, and later that on, that was uh, Neelix. Oh, yeah. Neelix said it about Mr. Nibley. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where we go from here. Oh. Luckily, they've got I, I, this data pad. They get up. Voyagers engaging these natural disaster carpetbaggers. And these dudes have some OP weapons that Voyager cannot touch. I, this is where the I think the good emotional connections really start as far as like Tuvok's side. In that, obviously recognizing that Neelix was correct in that he is also performing way above expectations first of all sits down with him and says uh we're gonna die if you don't do this and i know you can and he he makes that awkward attempt to like make an emotional connection through neelix's sister to to encourage him to do it and neelix sort of recognizes i i see how much it means to me that's like it means a lot to me that you are trying by having paid attention (laughs) like good job i will now summon my nfl powers to overcome this obvious concussion (laughs) and fly us out of danger which they do um they get back to the ship beam up through red alert somehow and and uh Echoes of Star Trek Generations uh, tune their weapons to the aliens' shield harmonics to be able to essentially take it apart. And uh, the the hobo alien uh, homesteaders uh, decide that they don't want any more of Voyager and depart. The ugly aliens. Uh, something interesting in this episode, and it's a, a big Janeway inconsistency, when the the bad guy aliens show up and play their hand. They're basically like, look, you need to get the fuck out of here because this is going to be ours now. And Janeway's like, no way. And they're like, oh, you want to die over these strangers? And again, it's inconsistent Janeway writing. Sometimes she wants nothing to do with, you know, regional politics. And then sometimes she's helping topple governments and establish new regimes and getting inserted in the middle of intergalactic, you know, race wars. I'm so used to it that I didn't even notice, but you're totally right. You're absolutely right. Like this is clearly a, a regional political dispute and you're putting your ship in the middle of it. This is Janeway who wouldn't, you know, smash and grab her own people out of half of the space jails they end up in. We get a great final scene. It starts with Neelix and Stab Lady understanding why Hotshot Doctor did what he did. Obviously, a little flirtatiousness for Neelix and Stab Lady. You know, start off with a knife and end with a kiss. 
Um, also, the stab lady finds her sisters alive and goes and runs off to be married. to re- reunite. And Tuvok comes back in and uh, tells Neelix, like, I put in my report and I made mention of a commendation for you for how well you performed. And for the first time ever on the show, acts deferential towards Neelix, not antagonistic. It was very noticeable. It was very Vulcan in that he was addressing him in a a way that felt very different and that he was respecting him as something more close akin to an equal or someone that had his respect at a minimum rather than the patronizing kind of lecturing tone. And for Tim Russ to be able to capture that difference in nothing more than body language and intonation. And eyebrows. I thought eyebrow was very cool because his dialogue is still just as, as clipped and formalized as all of his dialogue is. So the nuance and how he was able to capture that difference, I, I felt was critical to that scene being good. I agree. Um, was it a great episode? No. Was it a good episode? Yes. Was it in the upper 25% of all the Voyager that we've watched up to this point? I would say absolutely yes. And like you said before, man, for this thing to land on the so-called trilogy of terror. Hello. Have you guys been watching the first two seasons? Did you see the 37s? <laughs> Did you see Twisted? There- Did you see? I mean, going through the 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 worst of voting polls we did on the the facebook group like there is a lot of terrible voyager out there and when you get in these fights with the guys on reddit and whatever about false prophets and whatnot like are we crazy that's really my good my question here and and one when this episode comes out i think i might repose to say first of all why did people think this episode is bad it is very clearly not this is a a very good example of of voyager albeit with some problems and some holes some not perfect by any stretch but overall walked away from it going that was an enjoyable hour of television it's a typical really ramrod right we want to put neelix and tuvok in a pressure cooker situation where they work past their shit it's the same thing we did but with genre sp- television does that all the time space like, muppet, whatever you know the, the the dinosaur muppet space muppet baby right same deal right Harrison and, and neelix stuck and having to work through it and yeah there's a, a flimsy spy plot but you know what we got a cool space ladder which is something we've never seen in star trek like all the ramrody shit at least they connect the dots and you know give you the courtesy of a reach around on the stuff it all works there's a minimal effort that's enough to, to move the story to the point where this happens. Why the hate, man? I just don't get it. And then on the flip, why the strident defense of episodes that are not good? I mean, not remotely good that don't even bother to connect the dots on their the, the Ram Rani episodes and then lack the 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 meat on the bone that something like this has of having some really quality interactions between two key characters and a building of a relationship that has evolved and showing a continuation of that evolution as well like it, it's voyager gets knocked on its ass so much for lacking episodes like this where that happens like it's the biggest complaint that i see from people who create content regarding star trek on YouTube or podcasts of like all the characters in Voyager are exactly the same as when they started. Nothing changed and nothing grew. And I'll see this and like bullshit. This is growth. This is real growth from both of these characters. That's going to play forward from this point. And there's going to be more on top of it. Like it's there. I don't know if people just forget it. If people like, I it, is, is it because this episode has such a bad rap? No one's seen it in a while. I don't know. But if this is the trilogy of terror, I want to find whoever coined that term and make him watch the 37s <laughs> a few dozen times or shit time and again or any of the other absolute turkeys that we've reviewed, you know, between the two of us over the last 60 episodes plus. I got to hang a piece of paper on my wall. I'm going to start the uh, the list of shame for quick reference when we do these podcasts. So it's not always just 37s because there's certainly many more um offenders out there q in the gray oh stop all right enough i'm tapping out all right man uh 
I liked it. I think anybody out there who has not seen it in a while, give it a watch. Joke uh, at the CGI and, you know, come for the bad CGI, stay for the good character growth. Moving on, dude. We got season three, episode 20. I see Janeway, Chakotay, and Harry Kim chilling out on the bridge. Favorite son. Kim begins (laughs) experiencing bizarre DNA changes. Shades of threshold, perhaps. And instinctively leads Voyager to a planet whose inhabitants claim Kim is really a member of their race. This is definitely one of, of, of all the three of the episodes that are, are supposed to be bad. I know this one is bad. I have rewatched this one recently. It is so awesomely awful. The premise is amazing. Um, this is this is like tailor built for this podcast. Here we are, sixty one episodes in, and we're finally going to hit something that might as well be served up on a silver platter for us to digest. Concept sounds kind of interesting insofar as like Kim is different. I mean, let's remember Kim's like the alternate, not alternate reality. Kim's like the phase shifted version. He's not like the rest of the crew. And I would say him having like weird shit happening to his body. Pretty legit premise of an episode. So uh, it's a shame that that's not really the direction they go in. <sighs> yeah, well, surprise. All right, man. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's amazing. And hey, keep an eyes wide out for the uh, for the uh, eyes wide out, eyes wide shut. That's a little too much. Uh, keep your eyes out and open for Christina Loken, aka the T three thousand. She's in this one as an alien babe. She was a babe. Thank you so much to everybody for listening to another episode of Vigor Please, a hateful voyage of the Delta Quadrant. Uh, if you're listening to our, uh, our theme song, that's a creation of our great fans, Ian and Sarah. Thank you to them as always. Thank you to everybody that uh, follows us on social media, Facebook and Twitter, uh, who shares the podcast. And all right, we're done. Cool.